Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph in Montreal. Thanks so much for being with us. On the program today, I'm going to be featuring a conversation with Hena Zubari, who works with Justice for All. This is an organization that has been drawing attention to systemic human rights abuses within India today. Particularly, this organization has been focused on the ways that the current BJP government, which has been involved in legislating a number of policies that have systemically targeted minority populations, specifically Muslims within India. This conversation looks at the systemic abuses to minority rights that have been happening under the current BJP government in India. I think a lot of the points that are addressed in this interview are particularly important to consider in the context of looking at the relationship between Western governments and uh, the Indian BJP-led government today. This applies to the United States, to Canada, and the European Union, that although having issued some protest regarding policies taking place in India surrounding minority rights have maintained and sustained expanding economic relations. This, of course, also is a context within which massive resource extraction has been expanding exponentially within India, especially within indigenous communities of the country, Adivasi uh, areas that have been under systemic assault by corporations uh, that have been undercutting indigenous rights within India. There is a confluence of issues at hand, and this is one important perspective to consider today about what is taking place in India. Here's my conversation with Hena for this edition of the show. We'll just start with like a basic point, which is um, if you could just introduce yourself and talk a bit about your work. I mean, there's not a lot of broad awareness about the specificities of like the reality of rising fascism within the Indian state. And it's very important. That's why I wanted to speak to you. So as a starting point, I want to get into all uh, some of the specifics. Um, you know, in Canada recently, a member of parliament, for example, put an RSS flag on the uh, parliament hill in Ottawa. Um, most people, I think, probably don't have a understanding even a basic one about what the RSS is. Um, so these are some of the reasons I wanted to talk to you. Um, but just to start, could you just introduce yourself and speak a bit about your organization? Um, sure. Um, thank you so much for having me here. Um, my name is Hannah Zaberi, and I work for a 30-year-old um, human rights organization called Justice for All. Uh, Justice for All was formed during the Bosnia genocide. Um, when uh, Muslims in Chicago realized what was happening there and there wasn't enough awareness about what was occurring in Europe. And through that uh, organization, um, many there was things that they were able to achieve at that time, including getting rape declared as a war crime um, through the United Nations as well as the U.S. Congress. So this was one of the uh, achievements of that uh, group. Over the years, we focus on anti-genocide. Um, we work on the Uyghur cause. For 10 years, more than 10 years, we've been working on the Rohingya cause. 
um, and getting genocide Rohingya genocide recognized at uh, the U.S. government congressional level. It took ten years. Um, so advocacy, education. I remember when we started, no one even knew the word Rohingya. Um, and so uh, our testimony that we've received on the ground um, in the camps as the 2017 victims were coming in, the survivors uh, were coming in from Burma to Bangladesh, uh, we were on the ground and were able to submit that to um, you know, the International Court of Justice and get work done. Um, so our current uh, major project is Save India from Fascism. We started this project, we've been working on India and Kashmir for many, many years, but um, the situation of minorities in India uh, under the BJP, which is the Bharatiya Janta Party, uh, we believe is um, a very dangerous situation for minorities. And uh, we really do believe that much more focus needs to be put in the world, uh, at the United Nations and a world around the world, um, in this regard and recently uh, through much of our advocacy and our allies advocacy the un special rapporteur on minority issues recommended an independent investigation mechanism on india this is the same sort of independent mechanism that um, has been put in place for myanmar or burma um, or and syria uh, so you can uh, understand how grave the situation is on the ground for um for this to get to um, this point um i you know our work is rooted in grassroots we speak to grassroots reporters on the ground journalists we file reports on prisoners of conscience uh, of the indian regime and so much of it is firsthand where we're learning from impacted community members on what is going on uh, many of us on our team are have them ourselves have um, roots in India. We have relatives, uh, friends, families who live there, and so for many of us, um, it's a personal struggle um, to see, you know, what was what is taking place in India currently. Um, there's several things that um, people around the world do not realize. The BJP, which is the Bharatiya Janata Party, is a member, is the political component of the RSS. And the RSS itself is a hundred-year-old pro-fascism um, organization. It's the largest paramilitary organization in the world. Uh, it has camps all over India. They've been silently working very grassroots, training people um, on um, in uh, these um, they, they create these schools around the country and around the world. There are many, for example, in the United States, um, the uh, HSS, Hindu Sayok uh, Sam, is, uh, um, is the American version of RSS in the United States. And here we're seeing the impact of um, their fascist policies, not only in India, where you're seeing activists' homes being bulldozed for just for protesting um, laws like the uh, citizen amendment law, um, we're seeing uh, uh, people being put into jail for standing up um, for uh, you know uh, under the terrorism laws just for preaching their faith, um, and so um, in the past two years we've seen 
37 uh, and counting uh, prisoners of conscience being added to the United States. Um, uh, uh, there's uh, in, in the U.S. there's a bipartisan uh, organization set up by the U.S. government, um, which it's called USERF. And uh, this committee works on international religious freedom around the world. And they have a um, database of prisoners. And two years ago, there was zero prisoners of conscience from India. Now, there are over 37 that this committee has adopted. So as you can see, things are accelerating really fast. Um, and uh, we hope that the world takes notice. It's a very um, challenging um, political reality to challenge state power in India today with the BJP. It's a very clear example from what I can gather of a successful merging of a nationalist identitary fascism with a neoliberal economic model that's very integrated into the world economy. Um, and, you know, you mentioned other um, contexts within which your organization has organized. Uh, so, you know, in the 1990s in the Balkans, it was, you know, very um, simple for there to be a critique of the post-Yugoslavian Serbian fascist um, orientation of the state that was happening and, and the results being uh, genocidal practices and genocide in Bosnia. Uh, today, I think it's so uh, meaningful to hear what you're describing because there is such a reluctance. You know, we're in, I'm in Canada, and I know it's similar to the United States. If we're thinking about sort of liberal political class, to think critically about the BJP, it's much more challenging, right? Um, there's not an active conflict, say, for example, with the movement to address uh, Uyghur human rights, for example, there's an active conflict between the United States, the Canadian state, and the Chinese state. In this context, there's active collaboration on the corporate level and the political level. So I'm wondering if you could just speak to, in that context, why it's all these situations are critical, but why it's even more important for people to become sort of aware of what's going on in India um, because of these layers. Thank you so much for that. And definitely that's what we hear when we advocate with the State Department, that this is a very, especially with the war in Ukraine, um, it's a very, uh, India is an ally, it's a partner, and we want a strong India. We don't, and this is exactly why we advocate. India is geopolitically so important. Um, if what we have seen when states like this break up or um, you know, fault lines are created like this based on religion and faith. Um, in other countries around the world, it's been really hard. You've seen like the mass uh, migration from Syria. You've seen the migration in Burma. Um, and you, you see what happens to these refugees once they are, like for example, in Bangladesh, uh, Burmese rec refugees, the Rohingyas, are not even recognized as refugees. So imagine a country like India, which is one of the oldest unions. Uh, it's a, you know, we think of the European Union, right? It's, it's um, many states, many countries come together to form a union. India is much like that. 
what holds India together is this idea of democracy. Um, there, you know, after the partition, that's what happened. The Indian Muslims decided to take, uh, you know, not migrate over to Bangladesh, what was is now Bangladesh or to Pakistan or other places, but stay in India is precisely because of this idea that this is a secular democracy and we can live and thrive over here like we have for centuries. Um, but with um, the advent of, um, uh, it, you know, with the BJP, um, which goes against, you know, the, their core belief is that India's national identity should be anonymous with a Hindu identity. And this is against secular ideals of the Indian constitution. Um, they have stated a goal that they want to create a greater India, which can, includes many current sovereign nations, for example, um, Pakistan um, and Burma to the Nepal. So they want to expand. Um, I want to also reiterate, um, I'm, you know, I've said this many, many times before, but perhaps not in this interview, that Hinduism is the majority religion in India. And it is used to describe a wide range of religious practices and beliefs that are followed by millions of people. And it's an ancient and peaceful religion. Hindutva, on the other hand, which is very, very important to understand the distinction, is a deviant ideology and was popularized no less than 100 years ago by an early leader of the RSS named um, Sarvarkar. And Sarvarkar um, is inspired by the Nazis. He, um, they, um, you know, the, uh, the, he studied and visited Nazi Germany and Mussolini in Italy. And Goldwarker, an early leader also, passed Hitler's methods against German Jews as a good lesson for Hin uh, Hindutva in, um, in India, in, in that time Hindustan, to learn and profit from. So this is very important to understand what the basis of this movement is before we can even talk about geopolitical um, aspects of this. Um, you know, um, many people know India as the world of Gandhi, as the world of the Taj Mahal, but these are the killers of Gandhi. This, the assassin of Gandhi was is glorified by Hindutva groups. And... Um, you know, this is their shrines established to worship Gandhi's assassin. So I want listeners to understand and um, let that sink in. Um, Narendra Modi's party, the RSS, is, has a lot of power. And it's grown at the peril of India's pluralism and at its minorities. Most of Modi's cabinet members are from the RSS. And um, and any as India touts itself as the largest minority in the world, they you know minorities protect their religious um, 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 democracies. Um, it's it's sorry I should say that again. Um, India touts itself as the largest democracy in the world, and um, democracies protect their minorities. There have been several and repeated attacks against minorities, including Muslims, Christians, Sikhs, um, Dalits, and um, and they have simply been, um, you know, they have been amply covered by um, news outlets as well as Human Rights. Uh, Human Rights Watch just had several reports that leaked, uh, were uh, released about India. Uh, Amnesty India has been forced to leave India 
because of their work on this. So the situation has changed a lot. And that's what Western countries who are in allyship with India need to understand that they cannot keep coddling India like they coddled China 20 years ago. We don't want India to become another China. Um, and it is going this way. Like we see India is very much in, um, you know, uh, in touch with the Russians. They buy oil and weapons from the Russians. Um, so this idea is that somehow uh, being uh, being um, strict with India, with our ally, will throw them into Russia's arms is 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 a very um, non-strategic, I, I feel, in the long-term idea. Um, because as I was talking about before, what would happen if the you know if these um, uh, attacks keep continuing on minorities? And we believe, as an organization that works on genocide, that India is on stage eight of genocide, not one, not two, stage eight. And this is um, if you uh, follow the works of Professor Gregory Stanton, who is the uh, president of Genocide Watch. Um, he, you know, it, this is his uh, research also um, collaborates and he, he, he says India is at stage eight and there are 10 stages with nine being extermination and 10 being denial. So, um, so currently, and why do I say this? Um, in December last year, the largest Hindu priests organization in the country held a conference called a Dharam Sanat. They held it in the most holiest um, cities for Hinduism, right next to the uh, Ganges River. And um, there, um, there were several calls made to open killing of Muslims and Hindus. Um, um, they asked young Hindu men to uh, arm themselves. They offered 10 million rupees for suicide bombers to go into Muslim neighborhoods um, and their idea was let's kill 2 million of them so the rest of the 200 million run away. Much like what Burma has done to its Muslims. So these are verbatim. I'm quoting them verbatim. And when this happened, um, you know, there hasn't been much coverage in Western media because most of this was done in Hindi. And these videos have been watched millions of times, have been shared millions of times on WhatsApp and and Facebook. And um, and so when we look at this situation, what would happen if two, two million Muslims were killed? To, where would these 200 million go? They'll either take up arms or where will they, where will they run to? Like look at the, um, the sort of sensitivity and the, how this country would, the, such the fragile state of this country. Um, Currently, Pakistan is one-third underwater. Um, Bangladesh is already up to its, you know, that oh, they can't hold any more refugees. We're hearing, um, we're hearing uh, about Rohingya refugees that had fled to India being returned back to Bangladesh uh, from Jammu and Kashmir as well as other states. So what will happen to these people? What sort of fragile, you know, what sort of, uh, what, what is the West looking at if they want a strong and stable, you know, the instability this will cause if things are not checked at this time. Uh, and this is why we believe that 
countries who are working very closely with India, uh, supplying arms to India, have to really think about what they're doing um, and uh, how far this allyship will go uh, in a unstable South. Thanks, Hannah, for um, reviewing all of that. I guess, like, just to end, uh, I would just love to hear any thoughts you have about the fact that there's a lot of um, critiques and movements against the BJP in India. Some of them, um, and I mean, it's really intense and overwhelming, the situation in India, and very violent um, for many people on the ground. At the same time, there is like very vibrant movements that are challenging both the economic policies and the the cultural policies, um, supremacist policies of the BJP, whether it's the farmers movement that challenged the economic policies of the government. Um, you know, there's a whole another vision of what India is. Um, and that's you mentioned the Constitution, which is so important. Um, so I'm just wondering if you could just highlight, because often maybe people, somebody hearing this is like, would think, okay, well, where can I tune in? Like, this is overwhelming. But there's a lot of, you know, organizations like yours speaking about this issue, but also movements in India that are challenging the situation. Yes, um, definitely. Uh, uh, even despite the fact that so many protesters have been imprisoned, and have been put under, um, and they're in prison using laws like um, the UAPA, which is a anti-terrorism law. So anybody who's speaking up, journalists are being um, imprisoned for reporting on what is happening. And this is why the United States Holocaust Museum um, early warning project lists India as number two for danger of mass killings and states that mass killings are already going on if you look at their uh, interactive map. Um, what, as you, as you ask, which there are many uh, vibrant, you know, Indian uh, Muslims, Indian Christians, um, activists, there, it's, it's like, I'm in awe of them. Despite um, attacks, despite threat of, uh, their houses being bulldozed despite um, incarceration. They are so strong and being able to speak up because they know that at this point, if they don't speak up, there is no other stage. There, there is no other way that they can, um, you know, protest this. You know, the, their voices are the only things that they have right now. So I definitely would um, encourage people to follow um, people like Zubair um, in Hindutva Watch, uh, which is an, another, um, uh, you know, on Twitter. These are some Twitter handles that you can follow. Um, there is, um, we have our, our Save India from Fascism uh, Twitter handle is also where you can get updates on what is happening. Um, Hindus for Human Rights doing absolutely amazing work. These are Hindus who refuse to let their religion be hijacked by Hindutva and are speaking up for things that they believe are in their own faith that uh, absolutely requires the protection of minorities, uh, relig other religious minorities. And so the, and um, there are many uh, groups like um, we used to find, but things are tough too. For example, Dota Database. This was a organization that was 
um, covering daily events in India that was occurring against religious minorities. And they have been threatened so much that they have had to, um, many of their leaders have left the country and have had to really think about how they can keep this work going. Um, and uh, so as, you know, we, I really do believe that people need to support these organizations, support their work, um, follow Shirji Lusmani, which is a young uh, activist who had been incarcerated online. Um, uh, there's um, Mohammed Zubair is another one. Uh, Asif Khan, Mohammed Asif Khan. These are all activists that um, that people should be following and follow their work and see uh, what's happening currently on the ground there. And all important to take into consideration, you know, for anybody listening, if you're thinking about academic partnerships or business partnerships or cultural projects in India today and their relationship to the Indian state, um, these are things not to be ignored. So thank you so much, Henna, for taking the time to speak today. Thank you so much for having me. And please do keep an eye out on Hindutva spreading in your own communities because it's happening here as well. Um, we just in New Jersey, we had a, a parade with a bulldozer being used by, um, by uh, Hindu, um, Hindutva members of um, HSS and other groups over here. So, um, and uh, caste-based uh, discrimination occurring in your workplaces, in your schools. Um, so these are some things to be watching on. And the, sorry, just to clarify, the bulldozer symbolizing the calls for Muslim minority uh, neighborhoods within Indian cities to be bulldozed, um, that being displayed publicly in New Jersey at a pro-BJP, pro-RSS um, parade. So thanks again, Henna, for your time. You've been listening to a conversation with Henna Zuberi, who works with Justice for All. You can find more information about their work at justiceforall.org. This is an organization drawing attention to systemic human rights abuses and the undercutting of minority rights that has been taking place within India in the context of the BJP government. This government maintains vibrant economic relationships with many Western states, including Canada, the US, the European Union, despite the systemic human rights violations that have been taking place. There are many perspectives to consider regarding what is currently taking place in India. This is one important voice. So thank you so much to Henna for being on the program today. Free City Radio offers a new conversation every week. We air on a number of stations within this territory. We broadcast on Wednesdays at CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal in GeoGiage. That is Wednesdays at 11 a.m. We broadcast also on CGLO 1690 a.m. at 1 p.m. on Tuesdays, also in Geojagi, Montreal. On CKUW at 95.9 FM in Winnipeg, Treaty 1 territory of the Métis Nation. And 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at 11.30 a.m. on Wednesdays and on CFUV, that is 101.9 FM in Victoria, British Columbia, on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. You can find us on SoundCloud and Spotify. Our archives are at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. Thanks so much for tuning in.
we will go out with a piece of music from the classic Asian Dub Foundation. Thanks for listening, and I'll speak to you next week. Take care. Fly over, fly over. Sing, fly over, fly over. Chant, fly over, fly over. Stop on the gas kick down, the young celebrator. Sing, fly over, fly over. But when I get back, that's the one that can't capture. Chant, fly over, fly over. Stop on the gas kick down, the young celebrator. Sing, fly over, fly over. Mr. Transmetropolitan, get out of my way. There ain't enough hours in my day. The city's on fire in the pouring rain. Steam is rising faster than a runaway train. Get the ballet on the shit, you fuck up, you don't have your seats. The bloody turf, what makes me fall down Gucci. I'm gonna be high now, will you wait? Never going home. Skinny, let's start in, let's have the transit zone. Fly over, fly over. Stop and they just head down in your accelerator. Fly over. Watch a rent between the guilty and the innocent Rubbing shoulders with the Susu Super Gloss engines Burning up the Urals in South Kensington Choking up my London fire, smoking on the air Something should rather be anywhere but here Choking up